The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Good morning. It's Thursday, the 19th of October here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Hewitt podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up today, Rishi Sunak is set to visit Israel as President Biden's trip fails to calm fears of a wider war. Elon Musk dials back expectations for Tesla and the Cybertruck. Plus, a stream of cash, Netflix adds millions more customers and increases prices in the US and UK. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. The Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is about to begin a two-day trip to Israel, a day after President Biden's visit to the country failed to cool rising tensions in the region. It's understood that Sunak will hold meetings with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu today before heading to a number of other unnamed regional capitals. The trip comes as concerns grow over the deepening humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Biden says that he has now secured agreements from both Egypt and Israel to allow 20 trucks of aid into the Palestinian territory. Today I asked the Israeli cabinet, who I met with for some time this morning, to agree to the delivery of life-saving humanitarian assistance to civilians in Gaza, based on the understanding that there will be inspections, and that the aid should go to civilians, not to Hamas. Israel agreed the humanitarian assistance can begin to move from Egypt to Gaza. Amid growing signs that the conflict may be spinning out of control, President Biden also made plain that the US will protect its ally and promised a new package of, quote, unprecedented support. The decision to offer increased military support is a huge boost for the Jewish state, but will do little to bring Arab nations on side in a conflict that has already cost thousands of Israeli and Palestinian lives. There are still also contradictory accounts over the cause of a blast at a Gaza hospital that was reported to have killed more than 500 people. President Biden says that he has been shown evidence by the Pentagon that Israel was not behind the explosion. But Arab leaders have disputed that view. Mohammed al-Naka is a doctor at the Gaza hospital where the blast occurred. There was no advance warning before the targeting of the hospital. There were more than 3,000 people here for whom this place was a safe haven. A shell struck the hospital. We don't know what it was, but we saw its devastating impact, with children being torn to pieces. Mohammed Al-Naka, doctor at the Al-Ali Hospital, speaking there through a translator. The explosion sparked protests throughout the region and the cancellation of the planned summit between President Biden and regional leaders. Biden will now speak by phone with the head of the Palestinian Authority, 
those conversations will be crucial as the US president seeks to ease the flow of refugees and supplies across Gaza's border ahead of an expected ground assault by Israel. Now, let's turn our attention to other news this morning. Uh, Elon Musk is dialing back expectations for Tesla as years of rapid expansion collide with rising interest rates and a more cost-conscious consumer. The CEO of the world's biggest electric vehicle maker says that their much-hyped Cybertruck will begin being delivered to consumers next month. That's two years behind schedule. We dug our own grave with your Cybertruck. You know, generally, if I... Nobody digs or very better than themselves. And special products that come along once in a long while are just incredibly difficult to bring to market, to reach volume, to, to be prosperous. Musk also warned that the Cybertruck won't be a significant contributor to cash flow for at least 18 months. Meanwhile, Tesla announced weaker-than-expected third-quarter earnings, with revenue reaching $23.4 billion. The results come after the automaker continued to slash prices this year, with Musk saying that he's willing to sacrifice margins for sales volume. Netflix is raising prices for some customers in the US, UK and France after posting its best quarter for subscriber growth in years. The world's biggest streaming service blew away forecasts, adding close to 8.8 million new customers in the third quarter. The Netflix CFO, Spencer Newman, says that the successful rollout of paid sharing, which lets customers purchase additional access for friends or family, has allowed them to raise prices. We'll keep getting better at monetizing that big and, and growing reach and engagement. So we believe um, we've got a long runway for growth in both kind of more membership and higher arm over time in, in a more balanced way than, than what you saw this year, which uh, was, again, a pretty unusual year. Newman's comments came as Netflix reported third quarter revenue and profit that exceeded expectations. Earnings rose to $3.73 per share, whilst revenue grew to $8.54 billion. Shares of Netflix also rose as much as 13% in extended trading after the results were announced. A forensic accountant says that the missing $9 billion from FTX's books were used for Alameda's investments property purchases and political donations. Accounting professor Peter Easton was testifying at the trial of the former FTX CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried. The 31-year-old faces decades in prison on a variety of fraud and conspiracy charges at the New York trial. The outlook for the U.S. economy is broadly stable. According to the Fed's survey of regional businesses, companies say that they have struggled to pass along cost pressures and see prices rising at a slower rate in the future. But the Federal Reserve Governor Christopher Waller says that it's still too early to call time on the central bank's campaign against inflation. I'll be looking carefully at the data to see whether the real side of the economy begins to cool off or whether prices, the nominal side of the economy, heat up. As of today, it is too soon to tell. Consequently, I believe we can wait, watch, and see how the economy evolves before making definitive moves on the path of the policy rate. So Waller has been one of the more hawkish rate setters as the central bank tries to balance taming price rises with safeguarding US growth. He told an audience that the Middle East conflict shouldn't affect that struggle unless it grows into a much wider crisis. 
And just lastly, JP Morgan says that the time-honoured strategy of investing 60% in equities and 40% in treasuries is about to make a comeback. The bank strategists argue that the 60-40 portfolio will outperform cash and inflation by more than four percentage points over the next decade. The traditional asset mix has fallen out of favour recently as last year's hiking cycle led to its worst performance since the financial crisis. Now, as Israel and Hamas wage war, worries are building that the conflict will escalate to engulf the wider Middle East, and in particular uh, with Iran-backed Hezbollah on Israel's border with Lebanon. Iranian officials celebrated the 7th of October Hamas attack, and they have warned that multiple fronts could be opened against Israel if it continues its airstrikes on Gaza and the blockade of the territory. This, of course, after uh, President Biden uh, spent uh, something... uh, under eight hours in Israel yesterday. Joining me now to discuss is Bloomberg's breaking news editor in the Middle East, Patrick Sykes. Patrick, good morning and thank you for being with me. What are the risks now, do you think, that a ground offensive widely expected by Israel in Gaza tips into open warfare with Iran? Morning. Yes, I think that is the worst case scenario that that people are drawing up right now. You had that uh, that quite shocking line that you mentioned from Iran just the other day that the a multiple front war is is approaching the inevitable stage. They've also warned separately that that time for a political solution is running out. I think in the immediate term, the risk is more the uh, the proxy war uh, side of things rather than open conflict with Iran. Mm-hmm. So that's already happening on the ground in Gaza with groups like Hamas and Islamic Jihad, both supported by Iran. And but Hezbollah is the big unknown. You know, are they going to continue to limit themselves to the recent pattern of relatively uh, limited? strikes or are they going to enter the war in earnest? Um, We had the Iranian foreign minister touring the region last week, meeting the leaders of Hezbollah and Hamas. So it's clear that there's an element of of coordination and consultation going on between the proxies and uh, Tehran. What's less clear is is sort of the, the command, the lines of command, right? So mm-hmm. in, Iran denies that it was involved in the attack. It says that, that these resistance groups, as they call them, um, act independently. But at the same time, you know, it's meeting the leaders of these groups um, on their home turf. Uh, so I think for the moment we're facing uh, a proxy war, but but the, the worst case scenario is definitely open warfare. Yeah, indeed. So what is the view, Patrick, on President Biden's visit to Israel, um, embracing of Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli president, also um, Isaac Herzog? It was an incredibly difficult diplomatic mission. How successful was it? How uh, do we assess that? I think for the US side, some very limited successes they can claim. I mean, it w- it was an important display of support for a very important ally. Um, it seems there has been a little movement on aid, though not enough to actually open the, the Rafa crossing between Gaza and Egypt. But more importantly and more strategically, it was clear he hasn't won over Arab leaders in the region who are facing a lot of pressure from their populations, among whom there's a lot of sympathy for the Palestinians, um, to oppose the latest Israel um, 
operations in Gaza and the potential mm. uh, ground incursion. Um, the Iranians, meanwhile, called it provocative, uh, and that's a word they've used a few times now. So they say the U.S. is calling for restraint from everyone, but at the same time, you know, sending arms into the region. At the same time, the commander-in-chief touring the region. The Iranians say this is not helping to de-escalate the, the situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so then in terms of the oil embargo also that Iran has called for against Israel by Muslim countries, how significant a threat or an escalation is that? It's significant, but at this stage, a rather empty threat. So Israel is a pretty small importer, and needless to say, Iran is not supplying it um, there due to their long-standing enmity. What would make it more significant is if we see maybe... Arab countries starting to call for the same, and so far they've shown radio silence basically on the, on this call from Iran yesterday, despite them all being in the same room um, yesterday. Okay. And two, if the threat expands to not just an embargo on Israel, but on the supporters of Israel. That's what happened in the 1973 embargo, and that's what made it such an, a global oil price shock. At the moment, this is more limited and it doesn't appear they have the, the wider regional diplomatic backing to, to make it a, a shock to the market. Mm. Um, the Biden administration has also issued new sanctions against um, Iranian weapons makers, Russian entities. Um, so tightening up of sanctions, what impact could that have? I think the timing of that was important, less because of what's going on in Gaza and more. This came just after the expiration of UN Security Council um, sanctions on Iran's missile and drone program. They'd been agreed as part of the, the 2015 nuclear uh, agreement. Um, Russia and Iran, I mean, particularly Iran, increasingly Russia or so, you know, they, they've had the, chat, the time now to get used to these sanctions, mm. um, unfortunately. Maybe more important, um, we also this week had sanctions from the US on, on some individuals uh, that they said were Hamas members or, or Hamas supporters. And some of them were in Turkey, for example, where I'm based. And that just underlined, I think, the difficulty of, of trying to rally support by the US um, or opposition to, to what Hamas did on October the 7th among allies, uh, take a, Turkey being a NATO ally, while also having to deal with the fact that countries in the region like Turkey, like some of those Arab states, um, have had uh, accommodating policies towards Hamas and, and to an extent support um, some of their activities, though, though needless to say not uh, the kind of um, attacks we saw on o October the 7th itself. Yeah. Patrick, thank you so much for being with me this morning. Bloomberg's breaking news editor in the Middle East, Patrick Sykes, just bringing us the latest when it comes to the Israel-Hamas war, what is happening. We know also that President Joe Biden will be making an Oval Office address on this uh, to the US people on Thursday. Um, Rishi Sunak's in Israel. Also, the Foreign Secretary, James Cleverly, set to begin a tour of the Middle East too. Rishi Sunak expected um, uh, to spend two days in Israel and James Cleverly beginning in Egypt. Uh, also today a tour of the Middle East. So those are um, continuing developments and diplomatic efforts that we will follow for you and track for you throughout the day here on Bloomberg Radio. 
The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Now, let's uh, talk about earnings. Tesla, which announced weaker than expected third quarter earnings, uh, profits excluding some items, fell to 66 cents uh, per share. So that was a lot less than Wall Street had expected or estimated at 74 cents per share. Shares in Tesla also fell after market. They've been cutting the price of their vehicles. Um, that has hit margins. So joining me now to uh, discuss is Bloomberg's Danny Lee. Good morning, Danny. Thank you so much for your time. Um, it was a difficult quarter for, for Tesla. Tesla. We heard a little snippet there of Elon Musk, um, but sort of prepared to to make the sacrifice of margins in order to to have the numbers and the sales. The sales are quite strong, though, of, of Tesla vehicles. Yeah, good morning, Caroline. So let's just talk about the earnings call because it sums up the post-market investor reaction. Tesla shares were down as much as 8.8% in extended trading. And this was after Elon Musk started talking on the earnings call. Shares were rising. They actually rose around 1.5% higher, so then they pulled back sharply. And it's all that gloom. Yes, there is the the, the bleak outlook, well, not bleak outlook, but more the, the miss on the third quarter profits and sales. But then, as Elon Musk kept talking through this earnings call, it's more more bad news, you know, mm. one after the other. Stuff like the Cybertruck, the Cybertruck, which has been long delayed, First delivery now is going to be at the end of November, but you know, it's a challenging product for uh, Tesla to produce. And so as a result, it's not going to be a cash generative earnings driver until at least 2025. So as Tesla you know, grapples with not having uh, the most you know, extensive lineup of EVs, they are very much the EV sales leader at the moment. And when you look at their sales, you know, they, they are, you know, they've been growing quarter and quarter, although this quarter we knew in the third quarter that sales were are going to be you know, more challenged because they were upgrading its production lines to to prepare for new products. So that is why then the earnings uh, was weaker than expected. W- Wall Street was pricing this in, but it's still worse than expected. And then with more bad news, whether it be the Cybertruck to this new factory in Mexico, which will mm. be taking a lot longer to uh, to get online, you know, you see the reaction there in the shares. Yeah, but but then, having said that, Tesla share price has done, I thought, really well and is still a, much bigger than than the valuation of a lot of other global car makers. So, um, you know, are we right to be so pessimistic or for, for investors to have reacted so pessimistically? What's the outlook, um, you know, looking forwards? Yeah, so Tesla still has a huge potential when it comes to its delivery forecast. They're still sticking to their forecast of delivering 1.8 million electric vehicles this year. So where they stand currently, 
they should, in theory, then deliver half a million EVs. And that would be a record. And that's all help its uh, earnings in the fourth quarter. The question is, you know, with the, the comments around the interest rates and the, the, you know, how tough it is for, for someone like Tesla to sell in the, uh, in the current environment, the economic backdrop, does it need to start cutting prices again? Because it has been playing around with its prices a lot you know, over the past year or so. It's been part of the playbook too, as Elon Musk wanted to do, is to defend its market share, boost sales, and he doesn't mind sacrificing margins as a result. So the outlook is you know, promising when it looks like it will sell a record number in the fourth quarter, but how it achieves that is another big question. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa device. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepger. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.